0: So, John chapter 6, verses 1 to 40, hear the word of the Lord. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him, because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now, the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him... So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because of a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, But they were and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. On the next day... For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Let's pray. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in Your sight, O God, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. For tens of thousands of years, many civilizations have survived ...and thrived on one of the first man-made types of food. It's called bread. And uh, apart from uh, Southeast Asia, bread is really a a worldwide staple. It is an amazing invention of humanity. It uses various grains, mostly wheat, because wheat has something wonderful, for many people, called gluten that enables bread to feel like bread, to feel spongy. That's where it gets the, the sponginess and the freshness from the gluten. But there are other ways to make bread as well. It has a one, amazing properties. Uh, it, it, it's laborious to make, but now it's easier than it used to be. It's very durable. You can stick it just about anywhere and take it with you. It lasts uh, a long time, relatively speaking, to other foods, so you can take it on journeys. It's an amazing type of food. Now, um, unfortunately, unfortunately, it's fallen, uh, its reputation has fallen in recent years for a couple of reasons. Uh, one is because of increased sensitivity, or at least awareness of sensitivity to, uh, to allergens such as gluten. But the other thing is, uh, the popularity of low-carb diets. And if you go on the internet and ask, is bread the enemy? You will find various, uh, various answers to that. There will be articles that say, bread is the enemy. And then there will be those who respond and say, bread is not the enemy. Well, if you think bread is the enemy, this chapter is going to be very difficult for you to appreciate. Because the, the mega metaphor of this chapter is Bread. bread. And bread is a good thing in this chapter. Bread is a giver and a sustainer of life. And so that is the metaphor that Jesus will be working with. But first of all, we have literal bread that people ate. the the feeding of the 5,000. And this is an interesting miracle because because apart from the resurrection, it is the only miracle that is recorded in all four of the Gospels. All four of the Gospels. Now they have different details. John brings out different details. And they use it in different ways in their narrative. But it is the only one that is in all four. And therefore, it's a fairly familiar story uh, if you've come anywhere near a Sunday school during your upbringing, you know about the feeding of the five thousand. If you've watched any sort of uh, of those uh, uh, stories that that get shown around Easter time about Jesus, you know about the feeding of the five thousand. And this took place on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. Now, the Sea of Galilee is in the north. They call it a sea. It's it's a lake. Um, it's um, not nearly as big as, as what we would consider a sea, but called the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. They traveled from the, the western, northwestern tip over to the northeastern tip, and there a large crowd of people gathered. In an action reminiscent of Moses, Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he was with his disciples. And also, in verse 4, if you look at verse 4, another Another reminiscence of Moses, now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. And so, John the author is is inserting some, some little hints about Moses here, and we're going to have some interaction with the time of Moses. Now, Jesus took advantage of this multitude to test Philip, and it's to test his faith. And he says, Philip, what are we going to do here with all these people? And Philip uh, has a solution that he knows is inadequate, and his uh, his solution, which he knows will not will not work, is to take two thirds of a year of salary for a, a a day laborer and spend it all on bread. And he says, even if we did that, even if we took took that many months of salary and spent it on bread, uh, n- people wouldn't even get a little bite. And then Andrew, and by the way, Philip and Andrew appear in the Gospels together a decent amount. Andrew has another solution, and it's highly inadequate as well, and he knows that too, because he finds a little boy with a a, a lunch, and he says that this boy has five loaves of barley and two fish. But he says, what is that with such a multitude? So their ideas don't go very far towards solving the problem. But when we find Andrew in the Gospel of John, he's doing one thing and one thing only. He is taking people to Jesus. And that's what he does here. Uh, That's what he did in chapter 1, where he took his brother Simon to Jesus. That's what he does here. He takes the little boy with with a little bit of food to Jesus. And that's what he does later when some Gentiles come and say, we want to see Jesus. He says, I don't know what to do here, but he tries to take them to Jesus. So, So that's a lesson for us. He didn't really know what to do. He didn't have a very good solution, did he? But he took what was at hand, and what did he do with it? He took it to Jesus. He took it to Jesus. And Jesus took over. And you know the story, I think, probably pretty well. The miracle includes Jesus' organization of the people, has them sit down, verse um, verse 11, uh, verse 10, and then giving thanks for the bread and the fish, and then he begins to distribute it. And then it says that all the people ate, and it says here they ate as much as they wanted. So this was an all-you-can-eat lunch for these people. And then, there's an interesting detail that Jesus says, pick up the leftover fragments, in verse 12, that nothing may be lost. Now, keep that in mind, because he talks about things not being lost later on, when he begins to explain the meaning of this, para, of this action. That nothing may be lost. So, they gather them up, 12 baskets, verse 13, uh, left over by the people. Now, um, so far, the miracle itself. And the people perceived somehow that, that this was unusual, that, that somehow this bread was being multiplied, that these fish were being multiplied. They perceived a miracle. And so we want to see their reaction in verse 14. When the people saw the sign, saw the sign. Now remember, John, that's how he describes miracles, as signs. What do signs do? They point. They point. But there's this ambiguity in John about whether people are getting to the signified, or if they just are looking at the sign. And we'll see that in this chapter. They saw the sign that He'd done, and they declared, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. We've seen this expression before. The prophet. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 18. God said to Moses, I will raise up a prophet like you. A prophet like you. And since that time, the people were waiting not just for prophets. They were waiting for the prophet. And so the people said, this maybe is the prophet that has been promised since the time of Moses. And they got that right. Jesus was a prophet. And then they perceived something else, or rather Jesus perceived in verse 15, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again. So they connected something here interesting. They, they connected prophet and king together. There were three offices in the Old Testament, prophet, priest, and king. And some of those could be combined, but others couldn't. And they couldn't be combined all together in three. That was for the Messiah to bring the three together. But David, for example, was a prophet and a king. And so here they, they thought that maybe they could combine prophet and king together. And think about it. They thought this was very useful, right? To have a king that could give you an all-you-can-eat Buffet whenever he wanted to do so. That would be very very useful. And so the people had a, a correct idea about Jesus. Is he the prophet that was to come? Yes. Acts. Uh, they tell us that in the in in the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, it connects that that uh, those two verses. Uh, is he the king? Yes. Is he the kind of prophet that they were wanting? No. Is he the kind of king that they were thinking about? No. And so Jesus did not want to be their kind of prophet. He did not want to be their kind of king. And he also wasn't ready to provoke the Romans. If uh, 5,000 people start proclaiming somebody king, the Romans are going to notice that. And he wasn't ready to start provoking them and bring about the culmination of his work. So, that's the the story. Uh, You're probably familiar with the story. It points to Jesus as... Someone who is now moving away from being the kind of king that the people want him to be. Then we have the story of Jesus walking on the water. How many have ever heard that story? Once again, if you've ever come anywhere near a Sunday school class or some sort of a special on TV, you've, you've seen this miracle portrayed. And it is in three of the four Gospels, and it's at this point. Now, it says... Uh, "...evening came, disciples went down to the sea." Verse 16, they got in the boat. They started across the C- Capernaum. So they're going from the northeast to the northwest of the Sea of Galilee. Not a huge distance. It says they traveled about three or four miles. It took them all night to do that. But they had probably covered most of the distance, those three or four miles, as they were going across the tip. And when they had gone most of the way, apparently, they saw Jesus. Uh, walking uh, towards them on the sea, and they were understandably afraid. And then Jesus identified himself. Look at verse 20. Verse 20 it says, But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. It is I, do not be afraid. Now, um, this is, this is uh, very simply, he said, I am, do not be afraid. I am. Do not be afraid. And then, when they understood who it was, they were glad, it says, to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Now, that was either because they were already close, or there was another miracle there. It doesn't, it's not really clear, but they, were all, they reached where they were going. But this I am... Uh, we've talked about how John loves to do phrases with, with two meanings, two possible meanings. And in the Gospel of John... There are nine occasions in which Jesus says, I am, without a predicate. He just leaves it. He doesn't say, I am something. He simply says, I am. Now, I am was the normal way to identify yourself. Uh, so, this, uh, he could just be saying, as, as he says here, it's translated, it is I. So, it's the normal way. Who is it? Well, it is I. I am. That's the normal way to do it. But at the same time, as we saw in Exodus chapter 3, we we saw that uh, it's also how God identified himself. When the people ask you, who sent you, tell them what? I am sent you. So it, it also is the personal name of God. And in addition to those nine times without a predicate... There are some 13 times with a predicate. For example, here he says, this is the first of them we're going to see, I am the bread of life. Then he says, I am the light of the world. I am the door for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the vine. So, once again, a sticky note in your, in your head. So when we get to these, they should jump out. I am, I am, I am. More than 20 times he says that. I am. Now, what's what's the point of this story being here? Well, one point is obviously that this is when it happened, historically speaking. But all of this chapter is about bread. And then in the middle we have this walking on the water, and John doesn't explain it. There's simply this ambiguous statement of Jesus saying, I am Maybe he's just identifying himself. Maybe he's referring to the divine name. But what's the function of this in the Gospel of John? What just happened after he he multiplied the bread? They wanted to make him what? King. What kind of king? Their kind of king. All-you-can-eat buffet kind of king. And then what does he do? He withdraws from that, and he walks on the water. Now, if we go back to Job, and I think we have this... Slide, but our person who does the slides is helping out in some other way. Thank you. Job chapter 9, verse 8. And it's speaking of God, and it says, "...who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea." Let me ask you, who can trample the waves of the sea? God can trample the waves of the sea. So, combining the I am, combining his fleeing from the, the the adulation of the crowd, wanting to make him their kind of king, it looks like what's going on here is Jesus is saying, I am the king, but I'm not that kind of king. I'm the kind of king that tramples the waves of the sea. I'm not just in charge of all-you-can-eat buffets. I am in charge of the universe. I am. Do not be afraid. Now, we have plenty of material already here, but I I read this passage at some length so that we could get to his teaching because the teaching is now based on these two miracles. And that's what we have in verse 22 and following because they get to the other side, Capernaum, which was his base of operations in Galilee, and the crowd shows up. They didn't know how he got there. They knew he didn't get in the boat. And they started looking for him. They didn't find him. They they find him in in Capernaum. And they say, when did you get here? When did you get here? He doesn't answer their question, but he begins to instruct them. In verse 26, and he says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Now wait a minute. Didn't it say in verse 14, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. So we're told that they saw the sign, and then Jesus says, you didn't see the sign. And this is the, this is the play in the Gospel of John. This is the ambiguity. How do, how do signs work? Well, he says that, that you saw the sign. Yes, you saw the the, the miracle that took place, but you didn't get it. Because what do signs do? They they point. Signs have a signified uh, reality. And they were not getting the reality. They were simply looking at the benefit of the sign itself. Which is what? Bread being satisfied. And um, He says to them then, after after exposing the fact that they really didn't see the sign as it was meant to be he tells them do not work for the food that perishes but for the food that endures to eternal life which the son of man will give to you and so here he makes the here he makes the pivot the pivot from the the physical bread that he provided for them to the the lesson the signified thing and that is the the, the food that endures to eternal life. And he says, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on Him, the Son of Man, God the Father has set His seal. Now, it would be easy for us at this distance to judge these people as kind of crass. Jesus does this great miracle, shows who He is, and they're just concerned about getting some more to eat. Um, I, I think a couple of things we need to take into account. One is this. How close hunger and, and starvation were always uh, haunting the people uh, m- through most of history and many people to this day. So we who are well fed uh, don't understand what a luxury on all-you-can-eat banquet was. We go to all, all-you-can-eat things and what do we do? We complain about being what? Too full. Too full. But these people did not complain about being too full. For these people to, to have that kind of abundance and to be able to eat as much as they wanted was quite an amazing thing. So, so we ought not to judge them too harshly for focusing on this because it was a, it was a rarity for them. It was a luxury for them. It was, a, it was an amazing gift for them. But also, also I don't think that we have necessarily gotten too far beyond where they were. Um, why? Why? What were they doing? They were looking for life in things that perish. They, they were looking to, to build their lives on things that pass away. And they were spending most of their efforts on things that would perish and pass away. Is that something only of the ancient world? Yeah. Humans focusing most of their efforts and most of their energy and looking for most of their joy and most of their happiness and most of their satisfaction on things that will rust and break and be thrown away and perish? Are these the last ones to have done that? I think not. And so Jesus' words are for us as well as for them because he is calling us not to build our lives, not to look for satisfaction, on things that will perish, be that food or whatever else it might be. Do not work, he says, in verse 27, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. Now, they were, they were fixated on signs, they were fixated on works, and in verse 28 they say, what must we do to be doing the works of God? They wanted to know, what to do. And he just told them to work, hadn't he? He said, don't work for the things that perish, work for that which provides eternal life. And they said, okay, show us what to do. What are the works we should do? And Jesus' answer in verse 29 is, this is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He has sent. Now, this is, this is uh, probably a bit unsettling for us, Because we spend a lot of time in Paul's letters, don't we? And Paul says, work on one side and believing on the other side. These are opposites. It is not by works, it is by believing. Not by works, by believing. And he puts up works and belief as opposite. But Jesus says here, when they say, what are are the works that we should do? He says, oh, you want to know the work that you should do? The work that you should do is believing. Now, these are not contradictory. Paul's talking about the works of the law. Jesus is talking about activity. You want to know what activity you should do in order to, to have this, this sustenance that, that gives eternal life? You need to believe. And that points out the fact that believing is our activity, and Paul points out that believing is, in another sense, not doing something. It is resting. It is Trusting, it is receiving. And we'll get to that word receive here as well. Now, the conversation goes on. And amazingly, amazingly, look at 30. It says, So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What? (laughs) These are the same people that had, had just eaten on the other side of the lake. And now they demand a sign. They say, what work will you do? And here's where they bring in Moses. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now, if you know the story of the wilderness, how often did they eat manna uh, from heaven? Every day, except the Sabbath. And then they had twice as much on the day before the Sabbath, so they had enough. And it was every day. And it looks like what the people are saying, Okay, you provided for us once, but in the wilderness, uh, through Moses, God provided every day. Can you do that for us? And Jesus took advantage of their question and said, it was not Moses. Let's be clear here. It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. But my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. So what are they missing here? Once again, they're missing the, the, that which is signified by the sign. You want to know the reality of the manna? Do you really want to know what it's pointing towards? God gave bread. But now that's pointing to the fact that He gives bread that comes down from heaven the true bread. And then he says, verse 33, For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to Him, Sir, give us this bread always. Have we heard this before? Do you remember the woman at the well? Jesus says to her, Living water, it will satisfy you. And she says, Give me this water. He says that God gives this bread now? And they said what? Give us this bread so that we'll never be hungry again. They still were not getting it. And then in verse 35, Jesus drops all indirectness and He says to them, this is the first time, I am, with a predicate, I am what? The bread of life. I am the bread of life. I am the one about whom I have been speaking. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And then he exposes them again. But I say to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. They've seen and they haven't seen. They saw the sign. They didn't see the sign. They saw Jesus. They didn't see Jesus. They weren't getting to the end. You've seen me, but you don't believe. Now... What was the problem with their unbelief? They weren't seeing. But there's also, Jesus says here in verse 37, another giving. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Now this is fascinating. Philosophers and theologians, they puzzle over the combination of these two things. God's sovereignty, God's absolute control in everything, including salvation, in everything, including those, to, those who go to Jesus and those who don't. Control of all of that. And the responsibility for us to do the one work of God that's required to have eternal life, and that is to believe. So the theologians and the philosophers... They spend lots and lots of time and energy and dissertations working on these two things. And we don't find that, that consternation in the Bible at all. We find them side by side with no embarrassment, with no sense of tension or contradiction. Let's look at this again. Jesus says, All that the Father gives me, there's the control of God. There's the sovereign, sovereign gift of God. God gives to Jesus a people whom He has chosen. And then it says what? What will they do? They will come. God gives, they come. God chooses, they believe. And Jesus doesn't really find any problem here with that. That God is absolutely in control of this whole process and you must respond all whom God the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me I will not cast out that is I will retain I will not lose and then he says verse 38 for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of him who sent me and this is the will 39 this is the will who sent me that I should what's it say lose nothing lose nothing maybe that's the reference of that of that uh, pick up the fragments so that nothing will be lost. lost i didn't come to lose things folks i didn't come to lose people those whom the father has given to me they will come to me and i will not lose them they will never depart from me i will keep them and i will keep them to The end, verse 39, I should lose nothing of all that He has given Me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of My Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Now, the discussion goes on. We'll delay that for another time, but we will conclude with this. That's the message, folks. The Father has given the Son. The Son gives His life. And those who look to the Son, and not just look, not just see in a superficial way, but see who He is and see what He has done and believe in Him will have eternal life. There is a verb that is repeated time and time again in this chapter. Jesus gave physical bread to the people. The Father Gives the Son to the world. Uh, The Son gives life to all those who look to Him and receive Him. Uh, The Father gives a people to the Son. Now let me ask you, what is the verb that is the counterpart to give? Receive. 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 So the Father gives. The Son gives. The Father gives to the Son. The Son gives Himself for us. And what do we do? Verse 40. Everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on the last day. Why? He didn't come for anybody who comes to Him to be lost. He will keep us all until the last day. And He will raise us up. The bread of life. Gives us life now and gives us life forever. So let's pray. Lord oh God, we thank you. This is a longish passage with many angles to it, but we thank you that the message of it is very clear. But as clear as it is, the people when they first heard it didn't get it. And we pray, O oh God, that that we would not only see that we would understand and perceive and that we would believe in order to receive this bread that is Jesus himself and the life that we can have in him. Lord, we don't find ourselves very different from these people. We try, to, we try to build our lives on things that crumble and pass away. And, and then we find ourselves unsatisfied. And we pray, O oh God, that we would not give our lives to things that are, are ultimately to be destroyed. But we would seek that and receive that, which, which, which endures to eternal life, giving us life now and life forever.